This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to talk with Zev Neuwirth. Zev, Dr. Neuwirth is the Chief of Clinical Transformation at Extreme Health. He's also the author of a book, Reframing Healthcare. He also has a magnificent podcast around the same concept of reframing healthcare. In fact, just released an episode today around election 2020, and we're talking at the start of November, right after this presidential election, and so thrilled to hear his thoughts on that. Zev, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah. First of all, Scott, I'm a, a big fan of your podcast and your work, so thank you for having me on. Um, So I've been at Atrium Health uh, for almost nine years. uh, Atrium is a multi-hospital, multi-state, integrated healthcare delivery system and uh, uh, growing, as I'm sure everyone is aware uh, at the moment. Um, I've been very, very fortunate to have had some clinical operational experience in our medical group and worked in population health and now uh, work in care transformation and uh, it's uh, really a wonderful organization, and uh, just really, really proud to be uh, to be part of it. Thank you very much, and, and you've done a remarkable job. Talk for a moment. I know you released an episode today on election 2020. Any sense of how the election will impact healthcare? Any thoughts on this? Uh, obviously, at this moment in time, uh, and and when I released the the podcast. Uh, which happened about four o'clock this morning, uh, so it's been a long day for me. Um, I, um, you know, obviously we we don't the the election is too close to call. We don't have the results in. So uh, the podcast was actually uh, me uh, in the uh, being in a scene where I'm in the Oval Office with whomever is the Vice President and President on January 21st, uh, and they've just been inaugurated. And um, ask I've been asked the question of. Uh, what do we need to focus on? What healthcare policies uh, do we need over the next four years? And so I spend about half an hour really outlining a proposal for the president on what we need to focus on. And so I, I wasn't uh, really getting into the politics there, but I think to, you know, to answer your question here, um, I think there's a lot of commonalities between uh, the two administrations and a lot of differences. The, the commonalities, no matter who, who is elected, and who's in office, I think we're gonna see a major shift to value-based care. I think CMS um, is going to continue to push us, uh, Medicare is gonna to continue to push us with Medicare Advantage. And by the way, that is that is a, you know, folks are worried about socialized medicine, all that sort of stuff. There's nothing socialized about this. Uh, you know, capitated uh, Medicare Advantage is a highly competitive, uh, uh, you know, uh, game. Uh, all the insurance companies are in it. Um, and so it is a free enterprise game. It's just a value-based game. And the same is true for, uh, for the bundled uh, payment uh, care initiatives. We, uh, CMS has already declared they're going to uh, really expand that uh, uh, by 2022. Uh, and so, uh, so we don't have a lot of time to get ready for that. But, uh, and, and so that's a matter if we have a, a Republican Democrat or Democrat president, we're going to see that shift to value-based care, which I think is really important. And I think it's, it, it's, it's uh, really encouraging. I think you're going to see, no matter who, who is in the White House, I think you're going to see a reigning in on the, on the rising cost of medications. Um, at this point in time, in Medicare, I saw some data recently that showed that the cost of medications is actually about the same as the cost of hospitalizations, which is unprecedented. Um, it, is, it is the most rapidly rising segment of costs in healthcare, um, and it's unsustainable. And it doesn't matter who's in office, they're going to focus on medications. 
I think similarly, you're going to see a focus on uh, pricing transparency, uh, no matter who's in office. And I think, uh, again, uh, the other commonality is no matter who's in office, you're going to see CMS putting out regulation, uh, regs that pay for virtual care and for remote patient monitoring and hospital at home. These are the right things to do. We have to do them. And we just got to, we need the regulations and we need the payment structure in place to make it possible for hospital systems and healthcare systems and provider groups to, to move into that. Uh, and, and, and it is also part of, I think, of a larger value-based picture as well. The differences, uh, there are some differences. Um, and if you want, I can, I can mention a couple of them, but uh, those are some of the commonalities. Please. No, a couple of the core differences would be great to, to understand what, what you're thinking. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I think it's obvious to everyone, the approach to the pandemic is going to be vastly different. I, I, I don't want to get political here, but I think that the current administration has thrown their hands up in the air. Um, I, I, I see a lot of you know, public health and medical expertise that is not really being listened to or adhered to. And I think there's, there's some concern, quite honestly, that uh, the, science, the science community and the, and, the, and the medical community have about that. And I think it's, 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 it's some real concern there and a valid concern. I think if you know if there's a Democrat in the office, um, if Biden wins, I think you're going to see a much more public health, uh, scientific, uh, epidemiologic-based approach to containing the pandemic. And by the way, you know, as we look around, across the globe, you know, you look at Australia, um, and they've they've essentially been taking that kind of approach, a public health approach, and they're doing a lot better. They're containing it. The countries that are not, um, and they're taking a political approach. Um, you know, and, and again, I understand the complexities of, of closing down businesses. I understand the impact on business. Um, but I think uh, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, the pandemic just, again, coming back in a second wave, which is horrific. I mean, it's just, I mean, you know, again, we're talking about yesterday, two days in a row, the most, the largest number of people who were infected, over 115,000 Americans yesterday, the day before that, it was 110,000. So we see what happens when we don't listen to our experts in epidemiology and public health. And I, I, I think, you know, to get back to business and get back to life as normal, we're just going to have to, to do, you know, take the medicine and, and do what we have to do. And I think that'll get us back, back uh, to where we were before. Um, so, so I think those were, you know, a couple of differences. And, and I will say one thing, which is very, very important, and I think really critically important to me and to us uh, as a nation, as a country, um, and, and the type of society we want to be, the, the people that are most impacted by the pandemic are people of color. Uh, black Americans die two to four times the rate white Americans do when, when it comes to pandemics. So when you ignore the pandemic, when you ignore the, the suffering and pain, the hospitalizations, the infection rate, the death rate, you essentially are ignoring um, the, the disproportionate uh, negative impact it has on people of color. And I, I just don't think that that is the right thing to do. And so if for no other reason, um, that, that would be a good enough reason to, uh, to, uh, to really uh, take a public health approach and to do the things that the epidemiologists and, and, and scientists and, and, and medical leaders are telling us to do. And, and that is a fundamental difference. The last difference, I would say, of course, is the ACA. Um, the ACA is going to be, you know, with the individual mandate, with, um, you know, this concern about exclusion of a medical condition, excluding people who have prior medical conditions. If you have a Democrat in the office, they are going to fight for the ACA. Um, if you have a Republican in the office, I think you're going to see the ACA challenged. And I have some concerns 
for, again, Americans who have chronic conditions, which makes up about a third of America, by the way. Um, and uh, so those are some of the differences. And, and one of the issues that you point on the ACA is, regardless of political party, something the polls show 80, 90 percent are very much in favor of this concept of you can get insurance if you have a pre-existing condition. I mean, there's yes. no way around that. All Americans really so, want that, that ability to get insurance. Yes. What about totally the issue? What about following up on some of those issues? What about Medicare for all, public options, expanded coverage, moving the Medicare age from 65 to 63 or 62? What's your sense of? Are those things very hard to move forward with a 50 50 Senate, even if the Democrats win both seats in Georgia and end up with a 51-50 Senate. What, what's your sense of the temperature on some of these things and, and what will transpire? And will these be a big part of the first two years in the, in the Biden administration? I'm assuming at this point Biden wins. The House is held by the Democrats. The Senate is 50-50. Maybe the Republicans won one of these Georgia seats and have a slight majority. But either way, it's a very close Senate. What's your sense of big health care initiatives? like the Obamacare that you saw, will there be a big health care initiative or is the next year going to be consumed with COVID and so forth? And will the Democrats want to rock the boat and go hardcore on some of the tax issues and some of the health care issues? Or will they want to, they're sort of in a tough spot because they've got a centrist part of the party, a progressive part of the party. Progressive party would like them to go full steam ahead but the Senate is going to be very close at, at, at best. What's your sense of how this, some of these things play out? Yeah, I think you're right about, you know, COVID obviously has to be a major priority, but, um, but you know, uh, tied in with that is just the, the you know, the cost of health care um, and containing those costs as well. I, I don't, you know, you know again, I, I have this, uh, as you point out, this podcast, and I get the opportunity to talk to, to uh, experts from you know various fields in healthcare and, and people who are leading and 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 policy experts and I, I think the um, I think I don't think we're heading towards Medicare for all I you know I think you know given some of the reaction that the country has had to that I, I think that you know you know following some other countries that you, you know are still maintaining a highly competitive environment I, I think you could have value based care and still have free enterprise I think you can. You know, but you, you're changing the game, but it's still a game and it's still, you know, it's still, a, you know, in some sense, a, a capitalist game and, and, and a free enterprise game. So I, I think that, you know, the, the for instance, again, MA Medicare Advantage is just a great example of that. It is it is a, a, such a great example of how a sort of a capitated model works. Um, you, you get uh, much better outcomes if you, you know, Medicare Advantage over Medicare fee for service. Um, patients get much more benefits, uh, whether it be uh, transportation services or food services or home care services. So you're getting better care, better care experience, more, more consumer-oriented care. Um, and, and overall, we, we know, again, uh, that uh, Medicare Advantage lowers the, the total cost of care. So it is a more cost-effective care, and it's a better care. It's a more connected care. And that's just so and, and you can have that actually set up as a free enterprise. So let people compete, whoever has the better product. And so I think you're going to see that be the avenue. Um, now, I do believe that, you know, we need to have universal coverage. Um, every American should have insurance and every American should have basic care. 
And I think that primary care must move similarly to MA, must move to some sort of basic uh, model where everyone is able to access primary care. Um, you know, I, I would still think that there's some way to make that a competitive environment as well. And, and by the way, you know, you could offer, you know, this is like in every other industry. I mean, you know, just because you have a basic uh, option, you know, public option, and I, I, you know, I don't know, think we have the time to get into some of the complexities of that and some of the concerns that the insurance company has over a public option. But uh, and, the, and the concern they have is that it, 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 it will undercut the market. Right. And so um, but but I think you could still not everyone will will want just that basic option. Uh, a lot of people want a, a higher quality option. And, and that's, you know, that's where, you know, insurance companies come in and they offer uh, these other options. So I think you're going to see uh, potentially a public option for some basic primary care. But um, but we, we I do not believe in this country that we are going to be able to or should even move to a, a Medicare for all uh, model. Thank you. And, and, and a public option is sort of like the post office because you have to use the post office versus UPS or, or FedEx. It just gives you an option, and in in some ways it keeps the insurance companies – gives them something they've got to compete against economically at least. So fascinating issue, and and, and obviously it's a lot of complications to it, but a couple states are mandating a public option by 2021, and we'll see how that works out. Um, Another question. You had mentioned, and and I don't mean to keep you too long, Zev, but I love your thoughts. You had mentioned your podcast in the Oval Office, you know, and and part of it was – what would you like to see happen? What do you think should happen? And why don't you, you've talked a little bit about the similarities and the differences, you know, lots of pressure either way on drug costs, hospital costs, and so forth. But what would, and obviously on the Democratic side, probably more efforts to shore up the ACA. On the Republican side, not as much so. But tell us for a moment, what would you think should be done policy-wise? Well, again, I, I think the first thing is that uh, we must not um, we must not move away from universal coverage. We must move towards it. At this point in the country, uh, there are over 30 million Americans who are uninsured. It's it's literally 10 percent of the population. Um, if the ACA gets challenged, um, you know we you know uh, we could see that number increase dramatically. Um, and again, I, I don't know how how we as a country can hold our heads up high. Um, and, 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 and yet not allow uh, and not afford every citizen uh, basic, basic health insurance. Um, and um, so, so that would be the first thing. And I think part of that is, again, as we were just talking about, it's not just the insurance coverage. It's also access to basic, basic care. Um, Let, let's talk about right. that for a second. Yeah. Let's talk about that yep. for a second, because I know people do this in a bifurcated way. And it might have to be to make this understandable to people and so forth. But as you and I both know, coverage without access is almost meaningless. And what I mean by that, 330 million people, we've got this huge political debate over coverage. And I get that it's political hot potato. It's where the focus is. But you and I both know to actually have access, we need either a lot more clinicians, a lot better technology, a lot more providers, specialist primary care physicians. Because even yeah. with coverage, even if we expanded Medicaid to cover everybody in the country, what you mentioned on the ACA is a huge percentage of the people that are on the expanded ACA are there through expanded Medicaid. And you're right, the number could go from 30 to 50 million overnight if Medicaid was no longer expanded. But states probably right, would right. have to keep it expanded, but it would just cause a bigger hole in state budgets. But coverage is one issue. 
access, I think, in the long run, is as big or a bigger issue because without access and enough physicians and providers, how do we? When do we get to actually talk about and solve that issue? Yeah, and I, it's it's you know I should have had you on my podcast because I, I that's exactly what I go into in this point is to say that I, I completely agree with you. Uh, health insurance is not the same thing as as care and and healthcare. They're two different things, and you can have the insurance and still not get the care. And I mean, great, you know, yes, you have you have insurance for for uh, traumas and and you know catastrophic things like that, but. You know, most of the care really we need right now is preventive and proactive. I mean, the, the, the rate of chronic disease in our country is just crazy, and you need to have that preventive primary care. And so um, I think you're, you're spot on. I am not aware of any, uh, at, the, at the federal level, any initiative that is right now looking seriously at the issue of primary care capacity. I mean, you, you know, as a country, it just seems to me, you know, you would look at your supply chain. And you would say, you know, it's just like in any other industry. And we, we, we actually ran into that problem in the pandemic. We, we were just, you know, caught by surprise. Our supply chain with, with these supplies that we needed, um, whether they be masks, masks or, or, or ventilators, we, we, were, we really were, were caught, uh, you know, with our pants down. And, and I think that um, the same thing is going to happen with primary care. In fact, I, I shared a story in, in the podcast about my own father who was, was, had a life-threatening illness, went into the hospital, came out of the hospital. Thank God he, he, he came out. And, and, and it took five weeks to get his, uh, an appointment with his primary care doctor. And we set it up before he left the hospital, but it took five weeks. Well, in that time, in that five weeks, he got sick again because no one was looking at the overall picture. He actually saw two or three specialists, by the way. He went to see a cardiologist and a kidney doctor and I think one other specialist. So he got to see specialists. But no one was looking at the whole picture. And in, the, in, that, in that five weeks that he couldn't see a primary care doctor, he ended up in the hospital again and almost died again. And, and you know, by the grace of God, he survived and he's out again. And sure, you know, we got him to the primary care doctor right away. But this story is, is not a unique story. And, and it, it is a story of life and death. And it affects the young people and old people. Yes, we've just got a couple minutes left. But I want to put a highlight in the story is at the end of the day, it's not sexy to talk about, and not political to talk about, adding more medical schools, adding more residency spots, but at the primary care and the specialty level and all kinds of advanced practitioners, the medical schools are getting at it to an extent, but we need so many more of them to really make this work in the long run at every level, advanced practitioners, primary care physicians, specialty physicians, as we have this aging country, 330 million people plus, it just is, this access issue is gonna be a disaster. And you talk about it in the supply chain, way and i love that um let yeah. me let me we've only just got a couple minutes left Steph. i'd like to give you a, a couple moments to talk about your podcast and your book and to tell the audience a little bit about those and where they could follow those where they can get your book where they could learn more about zev newworth who's just really a magnificent doctor person leader communicator zev well thank you scott that's very kind of you thank you you know um uh, so you know, I did write a book uh, a year and a half ago. It was published called "Reframing Healthcare: uh, A Roadmap for Creating Disruptive Change." And and the reason I wrote the book, and and it took me quite a few years of research and hundreds and hundreds of interviews with uh, healthcare entrepreneurs, is that we have been trying to really um, 
uh, improve healthcare for decades. I've been part of that movement. And every couple of years, there's a new movement that comes along that says, hey, we got the answer. And it comes and it goes and we're stuck and we're usually worse off than we were before. And the truth is, despite the fact that we're spending one fifth of the gross domestic product on healthcare, our healthcare is worse now today than it was in the past. And so the answer is not to try to do the same things over and over again, or even to try to uh, do them better. The, the error of, of re-engineering is over. We are, every other industry has left that error. They are in an era of reframing, whether it's banking or telecom or entertainment or manufacturing, they are all transforming. They are all moving into a different age. And so what I did is study what they are doing. I studied what the the uh, entrepreneurs and, and founders of new companies, successful companies in healthcare, the folks that are actually changing healthcare, those are the folks I talked to and I studied them and I spoke to them in depth. And what happened was, I found a pattern and I wrote that pattern down and wrote a book about that pattern because that is the way we're going to get out of the dilemma we're in. You know, it, it's, you, you know, as Einstein said, you, you can't solve the problem with the same thinking that caused them and yet it caused it. And yet that is exactly what we continue to do. It, it is not about execution. It's about transformation. And again, it's not about reengineering. It's about reframing. And so uh, in the book, I, I, I give many, many examples of this. And by the way, it's happening. So it's not a hypothesis. It's an observation. I just discerned it. I distilled it and I'm sharing it. And I, I you know, uh, more people need, you know, more people need to read the book because they keep on hitting their heads against the wall. And it's, it's you know, and it's it's not just that the industry is going to fall behind. And, and that's part of it, because I think that can very much happen as new entrants come in. And we're seeing that with the Walgreens and the CVS there, by the way they're reframing healthcare. And I, I talk about that in the book. Um, but I think more importantly, the reason why this so, is so important is because, you know, people are dying and people are suffering, suffering needlessly within our healthcare system. I mean, every day, somewhere between 500 to 1,000 people die needlessly. And that is the core reason. And, it's, and, 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 and thousands or not tens of thousands of people go through a system that quite honestly is not patient-centered, not consumer-oriented, and this isn't isn't humane. I mean, our experience in healthcare, and everyone can relate to this, is nothing like our experience with any other industry. We are so far behind from a consumer perspective, um, from an ethical perspective, from a humane perspective, and and that was fundamentally the reason I devoted so much time and so many years to actually understanding how to reframe healthcare and then sharing it in this book. Well, Dr. North, you've done a magnificent job with it. I want to encourage people to read Zev's book and listen to his podcast on reframing healthcare. Just brilliant and magnificent guest you got. And thank you for joining us today. Scott, uh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure speaking with you.